seat. All right, good morning. How are you guys feeling? Anybody a little tired? Astros game was late and it was rough. <laughs> so if you're dragging, my guess is you are in good company this morning. Um, but uh, we are in God's presence this morning. And as Ryan said, um, that is cause for joy. And so even though we may be tired, um, even though we may come in here with burdens, uh, we come into the presence of the Lord, and it is a great gift. Um, as we come this morning, uh, just a reminder, we've been in this series, Radical Ordinary Hospitality. Uh, we've been spending the last few weeks talking about what that means, that practice, what that looks like uh, in terms of loving our neighbor. What does it mean to practice radical, ordinary hospitality with our neighbor? And this morning, we're going to shift. The next two weeks, we're going to kind of focus on what does that mean for us together, to each other, as the family of God? What does it look like for us to take up this practice of radical, ordinary hospitality uh, together? Uh, what does it mean for us to celebrate, is what we're going to kind of focus on this morning, this idea that, that when we gather in the presence of Jesus, there is this deep and abiding sense of joy. And so I want to invite you, if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible that might be near you, or your Bible, or a Bible app, and open up to Philippians the words we just heard read from Philippians chapter 4. We're going to kind of camp out there, verses 4 through 9 this morning. We're going to get there, but before we get to Philippians chapter 4, um, I want to just talk about Jesus as kind of our model for celebrating. What does it look like in the life of Jesus? And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes celebrating or happiness or joy and Jesus in my mind's eye, they don't necessarily go together all the time. In fact, I think some of us uh, probably have a conception of Jesus. Maybe when you picture Jesus, it's hard for you to imagine Jesus you know, smiling at you. It's hard for you to imagine Jesus kind of laughing, this deep belly laugh you know, with you about something. I think sometimes we have this uh, very cerebral understanding of Jesus' personality that leads us to this view of Jesus that he was always, you know, he's all business, right? That he's always serious, always dignified, um, maybe even to the point that we see him as kind of this somber figure in, in the Gospels, um, maybe even sad. What's interesting is not only in the Gospels, but even in the prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah, um, there's the word joy, the word joy is used to describe Jesus. Isaiah 61, it says that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come to anoint with the oil of joy, is what it says. Um, this prophecy is, is quoted numerous times in the New Testament. Um, this understanding that Jesus was a man of joy, it marks the Gospels. In fact, um, one author said that it's right for us to think about Jesus as the happiest man who has ever lived. That's how we should conceptualize Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever thought about Jesus that way. Maybe it's new for you to think about Jesus as actually a happy person. But he was. In fact, we see this in the Gospel of John. Just to highlight a couple of things, because it's all through his teachings. In fact, in John 15, 
uh, verse 11, Jesus says this, I have told you this, he says this to his disciples, I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or complete. The idea is this picture of it's kind of overflowing, that God's just goodness and his love and his joy just kind of spill out and over out of him and the same would be true for us. John 16, 24 says, ask, Jesus says, ask and you will receive your joy will be full. Ask, and your joy will be made full. John 17, 13, now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that my followers may have my joy fulfilled in themselves, Jesus says. And so you see this theme of joy in Jesus and in his life and in his ministry, and he's He's inviting us into that reality, a reality of joy as his followers. And there's a lot of things that I think are revealed in Jesus' words here, but I would say there's at least two important things that we learn in verses like these about God and joy. And the first one is simply this, that God himself is the most joyful being in the universe. God himself is the most joy-filled being in the universe. And we see that in the person of Jesus. We see that in Jesus uh, throughout his life and throughout his ministry, like we said, but we also see it throughout the scriptures. Think about Genesis 1. Go all the way back to the beginning and what we learn about who God is in that picture of creation. You know, the, the creation story, it begins with God singing creation, singing the universe into existence. You know that? Those first verses of Genesis 1 are a song. And they have a chorus, a, a line that's repeated over and over and over. And the line is, and it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And it was good. He says it over and over. And in fact, when it comes to humanity, it was very good. And it just shows the heart of God from the very beginning that God is a God of joy. Um, I love uh, what one pastor said is basically that, that what you see in, in those opening lines of Genesis is that this is so much a part of who God is. It literally just spills out. It spills out of him and spills out all over the universe. His joy, his love, his goodness. This summer, we, um, we went up to uh, the McDonald Observatory, uh, which is in West Texas. Anybody ever been there? Oh, man, it's amazing. It's really far away. It's like near El Paso. Texas is so big. I'm still figuring this out. But it, it was really far, but it was so worth it. We went, and we went to this thing called a star party. They have these uh, evenings where you can use these incredibly powerful telescopes. And so we, we, we went around, and we looked, and we got to see Jupiter. We got to see Saturn. We got to see the Andromeda galaxy. We saw these stars and all their life cycles just millions of light years away. But you could just look up in the night sky, and you could see... The beauty, the absolute beauty of God's creation. And, and what just stood out to me was that, that God, the creator God, was at the heart of that. He, he is at the very center of all of that. All of creation, all the universe, at the heart of it is a God of joy. And you can see that. And we experience that in our lives. We experience that in, in moments uh, and events in our lives. I mean, think about the most joyful moments in your life. Just take a moment. Just think about when you just felt incredible happiness and joy. Maybe it was a, a, a big occasion in your life, like 
a wedding day or a child's birth or you finally finish that degree or whatever it is, like just a huge celebration. Or maybe it can even be something as simple as, you know, we went bowling with some friends not too long ago, and it was awesome. It was just so fun. Bowling is still fun, in case you're wondering. You can still do it. It's awesome. We went. We had a blast. It was so joyful, right? We, 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 we have these moments. I mean, I think sitting on the couch having a big bowl of ice cream every night, that is joy. That is a confession, and it is me. That is what I do. I, I love it, you know, and there's these moments, right, of joy in our lives that God gives us, and at, at the heart of that, the seed of that is who God is. He is a God of joy, and he's made us to experience that joy in our own lives. Now, the reality, too, is that we live in a broken world. We live in a world that has moments that are not beautiful and wonderful and celebration. We live in in a world where there's pain and there's loss and there's heartache and there's suffering. And the reality is that the God of joy is in those moments, too. The God of joy is in the ugliest, darkest, most painful parts of our lives. It's interesting, you know, Isaiah in, uh, in his prophecy, he says Jesus is a man of joy, right? But he also calls Jesus a man of sorrows, Isaiah 53. Jesus is a man of sorrows, that he is no stranger to suffering. And I think this is really helpful to see these things side by side because that's the world we live in with these beautiful moments and ugly moments, these incredibly uh, wonderful occasions and these heartbreaking occasions in our life, the, the pain and the beauty, all that side by side. And we even see it in God. We see sorrow and joy. But even in the deepest sorrow, even in the hardest parts of our life, there's still that joy And there's the joy because we know that God is with us in those moments. His presence gives us hope. It reminds us that even in all this sadness, that that sadness one day will pass away. That one day God's sorrow will end. And our sorrow will end. But his joy will never end because it's part of who he is. He is a God of joy. So first, he's the most joyful being in the universe. I think Jesus wants us to understand that. Second thing I think Jesus is pointing to is that he wants us to understand that God's desire for us is to become people of joy. God's great desire for us as followers of Jesus is to become people of joy. To apprentice to Jesus is to become like him, right? It's to grow and mature into the kinds of people who are as joyful as Jesus is. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so that's why Jesus prays for us in these verses that I read from John, uh, the Gospel of John. He prays for us to be people full of joy. Full of joy. John Piper says, uh, says this about joy. He says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. I love that definition um, because I think it hits on something that, that's kind of hard to articulate, which is this, that joy is, it's an emotion, but it's also more than that. It's not just an emotion. 
Uh, it's this gift of the Holy Spirit. It's this gift of God. It's a reality, a condition of, of the heart, of the soul that touches the very depths of who we are. But what that doesn't mean, then, is that we are just passive recipients of joy. I love what Ryan said. It's like a muscle. you got to exercise. you got to practice. you gotta, you got to take steps to cultivate joy in your life. Uh, one, one pastor I heard described it this way. He said, sometimes we take this mentality uh, that God wants us to just sit around and wait for him to drop joy bombs on us. Right? That we come on a Sunday morning and we're like, worship, joy bomb, boom! You know, we're just like, oh, this is amazing. Right? Or that we have this really intense time with the Lord, like maybe in our quiet time or something, and boom, joy bomb, just like a water balloon, just blows up over us. And we just, oh, we're just filled with joy. And that happens. That happens. But that's not the sum total of what Jesus is after here. Jesus is after something much more. He wants to do more than just dump joy on us, which he does. He wants us to actually become people of joy, people whose very lives are marked by joy. His desire is that our apprenticeship would be shaping us into joyful people. That's his hope. That's his desire, that that would be who we are despite whatever circumstances we find ourselves in that we be people of joy. In other words, joy isn't just something we wait for. It's something that we take up as a practice. It's a conscious choice. That's why the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, and I say it again, rejoice. For Paul, this is so important. Rejoice some scholars take that uh, term, the, the, the Greek there, to rejoice, and translate it as celebrate. Celebrate, and again I say celebrate over and over and over again. Take up this practice of Jesus to celebrate, not just when you feel joy, but as a way of life, to celebrate. And the beauty of this way, this spiritual discipline of celebration is that it's not rocket science, right? It's not really hard. It's actually fairly simple. Not necessarily easy to do, but I think very simple in terms of a practice. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can actually become people of joy. And so the question then that I want to kind of think through the rest of our time together is, how do we become people of joy? How do we actually become people of joy? So um, the first thing I would say in terms of how we do this is we set our minds on joy. We set our actual minds on joy. Now, we can't just will ourselves to feel something. That's not the way emotions work. Um, but joy is its more than an emotion. Not less, but it's more than emotion. So even though we can't turn it on and off, there is a reality that we have a role to play. And so we can actually control something that helps us cultivate joy, and that is our mind. So that's what I mean when we say we want to set our minds on joy. We want to turn our attention, in other words, as a general rule, to those things in our life that can help us feel and experience and live as joyful people. So, for example, about how this works. Think right now about something um, that's going to elicit emotion. Let's try, um, think about bills that you have to pay. 
Think about maybe it's a stack of bills you have to pay, right? Things that you would rather not deal with, but you know they're sitting there. You got to pay them. They're coming up. They're due. How do you feel right now, right? Anybody feel a little anxious, a little nervous, a little stressed, right? Your thought life, right, just helped move you into an emotion, right? We experienced that. If you thought there was a bear outside your tent, for example, you're camping, you think there's a bear outside, what are you going to feel? Some of you are excited. Most of us are terrified, right? <laughs> you're terrified. Turn that off. Is that how it works? No, I'm just going to not be afraid right now. I know there's a bear out there, but I'm just going to turn off the emotion. We don't have an on-off switch for our emotions. That's not how they function. And so the reality is that we, we have something that we can control, and that is our minds. And so what we can do is we can train our minds to focus on things that move our emotions to joy. And what can we focus on? We can focus on the goodness of God. We can bring our thoughts to bear on how loving he is. We can bring our thoughts to, to bear on, uh, on his love for us, his joy, the life that comes in him and through him, the good and beautiful and the true in the world. And when we do that, when we begin to focus on that, same phenomenon, it moves us in our emotions to a place of what? When you think about the goodness of God, what do you feel? Gratitude right? Gratitude. And gratitude is what leads us to joy. It's this sense that I am so thankful for who God is and what he's done for me. And so we can set our minds on joy. That's why Paul here in Philippians 4, he says what he says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but everything, by everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say this. Listen to this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, do what? Think about these things. Let your mind be set on these things things. So what Paul is advocating is that we take up this practice of cultivating joy by thinking on the things of God, about his character, about his, his peace, his life, and that what comes from that is this shalom, the wholeness, the fullness, life to the full that Jesus talks about, that he offers to us. And Jesus says, if we do this, joy will be with you. The fullness of my joy will be in you. So here's three really practical, helpful ways to set our minds on joy. First one is this. We have to surrender the illusion of control. Surrender the illusion of control. Paul says, don't be anxious. Don't worry about un, uh, anything, uh, but in all circumstances, by prayer and petition, do what? Give it to God. Give it to God. Surrender the illusion of control. If you want to become a joyful person, you have to let go of this idea that you are actually in control of your life. And that is so hard for us. But you have to let go. You have to let go. You have to get to the place where you're not trying to control all the outcomes in your life. Because the reality is we can't. 
And letting go doesn't mean that you just pretend that everything's fine, that you just pretend to be happy. You kind of anesthetize yourself against the hard things and the painful things in life. But it means that you have this, what you have is a godly and eternal perspective on temporal realities, right? And so when we do that, it means that we can actually take up this way of living where joy and contentment are not dependent on what's happening in our life, on the circumstances around us. So surrender the illusion of control. Second, give thanks. Just take up a practice of giving thanks. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, give this to God. Gratitude is the mark of an apprentice of Jesus. We thank God for everything in our lives. Everything big, everything small, ordinary, extraordinary, uh, we, uh, we did this yesterday. It was a really rough morning at my house yesterday morning with my three kids who are all under 10. Got up, everybody was whining, everybody was complaining, just in a bad mood, you know, just one of those days. And so we just said, all right, we're just going to stop whatever else we're doing. And when you're a pastor, you have a dry erase board at home. And so you get your dry erase board out, and I got it out for the kids. And I wrote uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 at the top, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks, right? And then we did three columns, and they drew things they were thankful for. They had to come up with five things they were thankful for. And then they gave a little presentation on the five things that they were thankful for. You know what? And then after that, we took a long walk because it was beautiful outside. Just so they could be out and see the goodness of God and feel the goodness of God and smell the goodness of God. And it transformed the day. And they weren't perfect kids after that, but it helped a lot, you know. Moving to a place where you give thanks actually changes your heart. It impacts you. It moves you to this place of joy. And so there's simple ways that we can cultivate that by giving thanks. And then the third thing, focus your attention on all that is good. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, on and on. He says, if, if you focus on these things, Things. Think on these things, he says. So focus our attention on what is good. I don't think I'm a cynical person, but I am prone to focus on the negative. I think there's something about our human fallenness uh, in a world that's broken that moves us to do that. So if, if you're going through the day and you hear, you hear 10 things, nine of them positive and one of them negative about you, right? You get, you get nine compliments and one critique. When you lay your pillow, head on the pillow at night, what are you thinking about? The critique, right? Is that just me? No, I need more response. Is that just me? Yeah, okay, good, thanks. <laughs> um, so the reality is that we, we're prone to focus on the negative, right? We all do this. And what's interesting is our culture kind of fosters that within us. I'll give you one example. Um, when you think about uh, what comes through to your life on your phone, right? Think about if you're on social media, think of your Twitter feed, if you got a news feed, whatever it is, social media just in general, or just news. I mean, news, what sells in the world of news? Bad news, salacious news, right? There's something about it that draws people in. It, it makes us click, makes us swipe. There's this reality that our, our sinful brains are kind of skewed towards the negative, and so we can find ourselves fixed on those things instead of fixed on the things that Paul describes here. What is true, what is good, what is beautiful. 
And so, you know, one thing that I think would help us a lot, you know, and, and think about your own life and think about the habits that you have. One thing that I would help, think would help a lot is if we were really more intentional about what shapes us. If we were more intentional about what's shaping who we are becoming. The reality is that we probably could be a lot more joyful if we just turned off our phones more often. If we just set it aside, you know, if we kind of, if we unplugged from just a steady stream of what is negative. Here, you know, the reality is your phone is not benign, right? What comes through there is, is actually, um, you know, it is crafted, it is cultivated, it is curated to frame a certain way of thinking about the world. Now, I'm not... Don't get me wrong, I'm not a Luddite, I'm not anti-technology, I'm not saying let's all move to Alaska and just, you know, you know, totally turn off and tune out. I'm saying let's be thoughtful about what's coming in, what's coming into our lives. And a lot of times we're just not, we don't discriminate at all about what's coming in to our lives. And so maybe, you know, you have a habit of just reaching for your phone first thing you do in the morning. First thing you do is you check a text, you check your email, you get on your newsfeed. It's right there on your nightstand, it's easy to do. I fall in that trap. But what if instead of that, filling our minds with that right off the bat, what if instead we were spending time in Scripture? What if the first thing you did, feet hit the floor, you said a short prayer in the morning? It would actually change the trajectory of your day. It would change the orientation of your heart. And so... Fixing ourselves on what is good is what Paul advocates for us to do here. So surrender the illusion control, give thanks, and set our minds on what is good. So that's our mind. So that's one way that we can become people of joy. Second way is that we move our bodies into joy. Move our actual bodies in such a way that it creates joy. A lot of times, I think as Christians, I don't know if this is kind of because we come out of an enlightenment kind of worldview where we're just like minds on legs. You know, we don't actually have like hearts and bodies. We tend to think of ourselves more like that, and we think of our faith very intellectually, some of us. And I think this is an invitation. Uh, uh, as Tim Mackey, uh, who's a biblical scholar, he said it this way. He said, he said we uh, don't have bodies. We are bodies. What he's getting at is we were made with bodies, it's integral to who we are, who God made us to be. And so that means it's critical. My body, your body, is critical to your relationship with God and therefore a key to your experience of joy. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but that's what Paul actually describes here later in Philippians 4. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, he says. In other words, you've seen this joy in me, this experience of the peace of God and the joy of God, you've seen it in my body and my actions and my routines, my schedules. Mimic that. Follow that. Just as I am following Jesus in that. And the more that you do that, the more joyful you will be. That's what Paul's saying. So, again, the starting point for some of us when it comes to our bodies, some of us just need to slow down. Slow our bodies down. We talked about this a lot over the spring. Right? We talked about the fact that we are a hurried people. And the truth is, hurry is incompatible with the joy and the peace and the way of life that Jesus has on offer. We need to slow down. So maybe that's a starting point for you, just slowing your life down a little bit. 
taking care of your body, sleeping well, eating well, exercising, taking up practices of Jesus that we see in the Gospels, having time alone with God in prayer and scripture, spend time with friends and family, work hard but have fun, rest, eat together, celebrate life together. In fact, that last one I think is, is really, really important. It's just such a simple way, this eating and drinking together with the family of God. Richard Foster um, says this. He says, God has established a created order full of excellent and good things, and it follows naturally that if we think on those things, we will be happy. That is God's appointed way to joy. If we think we will have joy only by praying and singing psalms, we will become disillusioned. But if we fill our lives with good things, simple good things, he says, and constantly thank God for them, we will cultivate joy in our lives. So simple good things. I just took a crack at some ideas on simple good things to cultivate in your life. So music, right? I love music. Just listening to music. Maybe you're not in the habit of listening to music. Listen to music that encourages you, that's joyful, that it actually makes you want to sing with it, right? That makes you want to dance, okay? I am a terrible dancer, but if I'm home by myself, watch out, you know? Like, I might just do it, you know? If I got the kids around, sometimes we'll just dance and be silly, and there's something joyful and beautiful about that. Laughing, you know, some of you guys are so funny in the church. Some of you are like me. You think you're funny, but some of you are really funny, right? And you have the gift of telling great stories and jokes that make people laugh. You know, simple good things, events, holidays, finding reasons to get together with friends, with the family of God to celebrate the goodness of God. Sabbath, having a rhythm in your life, a weekly rhythm in your life where you pause everything else so you can celebrate who God is. You can celebrate his goodness. Expressing gratitude, we talked about that. Being with joyful people. This is not cheating. This is totally allowed. Just find people in your life who are joyful and say, hey, can I hang out with you? I need some joy. You know, like there, you, you have people in your life like that, right? That, that just when you're with them, there's something about the relationship you have with them that helps you experience joy. And then the last thing, I would just say, I am convinced, just to circle back on this, that, that cultivating joy for us as followers of Jesus, one of the key ways we can do that is by doing what Jesus did. We've talked about this. He ate and he drank with others a lot. This picture of Jesus around the table with his followers, with the family of God. It was his go-to move. This is what Jesus did over and over in the Gospels. And I think it's because he had this heart of joy. That's, that's who God is. He loves feasting. He loves celebrating. He loves to party, right? That's who God is, the goodness of God with God's people. That's the picture we get of Jesus because that's who he is. I want to give you a, a, an example. I came across this I don't know if you ever have this experience, like maybe I've read this before, but I just, I don't remember ever reading this in the Bible before. And I came across this in Deuteronomy 14. If you want to turn there real quick, or if you want to look on the screen, just listen to this. This is a description from the law. So this is Deuteronomy, right? This is the law of God for the people of God. This is what he said. He said to take an annual tithe and then take that tithe and eat the tithe 
of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Use the silver, so if you don't have those things, take your money, use your silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord and your God and rejoice. Be in the presence of God and rejoice. There it is, joy at the heart of God and his relationship with his people. Now, let's just think through what this is saying, right? Let's just process it together. Okay, so let's start with this. Um, a tithe, you know, typically understood to be about 10%. So this tithe is for parties, right? This is not the tithe. This doesn't say take a tithe and then part of it used to care for the poor. That's a totally different tithe. That's not this. This is a tithe for celebration. And what he says is you take this tithe and you get all this stuff together and you have a party. So if we were to do this, let's just say, man, we want to be faithful. We want to do what Jesus did. This is, man, this is right there in scripture. Maybe we should do this. Let's do some quick math, all right? So we have about 200 <clears throat> Some odd adults in our community, another 75 to 80 kids. <clears throat> Let's say that's 150 households. Average household income in uh, Houston is about $70,000. So if we did all the math, that, what that means is if we were all tithing, we'd have about a million dollars. A million dollars would be, you know, for our tithing for our annual budget. Now let's say we took another tithe, a whole separate tithe, which is what this is saying, that's another 10%, right? A million-dollar party. Do you understand what this is saying? Can you imagine? Now, this is not my proposal for the 2020 budget. I'm just saying. Like, get your heads around what God is saying here. This is how much it matters to him. This is how much a part of who he is. Joy. He's a God of joy who loves to celebrate. And you get this image all through Scripture, right, of feasting, of celebration, Genesis all the way to the wedding feast of the Lamb in Revelation. It's this picture of God's heart through the festival, through the feast, through celebration, through eating and drinking as the family of God. So what if, let's just say, what if, what if that was our reputation in Houston? We were the church that threw the best parties, million-dollar party. You can do a lot. You can do a lot with a million dollars once a year, Right? I mean, that is a great, what if we were the church that was known for celebrating God's goodness as much as we were for forgiving and, and supporting and caring for the poor? What if it was both, not either or? What if it was both, right? And let me just say, as followers of Jesus, you know, you hear the word party, God loves a party, and we can get, we can get off track really quick <laughs> with that idea, you know, with party, because we hold in our heads this idea of party that is not what the people of God do. It's what the world does when they party. Um, and so I love how one pastor, he drew this connection or these uh, parallels. He, he made this, this, I thought this was really helpful. He says, when, when, when the world throws a party, it's about pleasure. When the family of God parties and celebrates it's about joy and this is the difference pleasure is rooted in an experience or a substance right joy is rooted in character and commitment right again it's a deep soul thing pleasure says this feels good and i want more 
And it feels good again, and I want more, and I want more, and I want more. Joy says, this feels good because I have so much. Pleasure, if not put in check, can lead to addiction and ultimately can be really destructive in our lives. Joy, you know what joy leads to? More joy. More joy because it's more of God. And so what we're talking about is joy, a discipline, a practice of joy in our lives. And it's important for us to make this distinction because I, I understand. Let me just say this. You know, there's the use and abuse of alcohol in our culture and even within the church is rampant. I mean, if you have any question about that, on your recycling day, just listen to the sounds across your neighborhood. Bottles clanging all over the place, right? Because this is the way of anesthetizing ourselves in a fallen, broken world. This is the way of pleasure, but this is not the way of joy. And so what I'm not advocating for is, is for us to abuse, right? Jesus was a, a, accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, but he was not those things. And so we need to be careful and we need to actually show the world what it looks like to party with joy. <laughs> because there's a better way to celebrate life. And we need to show that to the world. We need to show the world how to live with joy in a way that's not about escape from life, but celebrating life. That's not trying to hide things from God, but welcomes God's presence. In a way that actually is, is not about abusing the good gifts of God, but using them and enjoying them in a way that honors him. That's what we're after. And so there's one, um, there, there's, there's one thing that I want to give you, and one practice to kind of actually try this. And I know this is going to be really hard for many of us, but maybe the hardest practice that we've ever done together. But here's your homework for the next couple weeks, right? Throw a party. Okay? Throw a party to celebrate to live and joy as the family of God. Gather with followers of Jesus and have a party. And it doesn't take, it doesn't have to be a blowout million dollar party, <laughs> okay? What this is, is an opportunity to be together, to eat and drink, to celebrate the goodness of God. Because that is the God that we serve. He is a God of joy. And so we want to cultivate this, this attitude, this posture of worship, of joy, of gratitude, and so that's your assignment, okay? Your assignment is to throw a party sometime in the next two weeks. All right, and we're going to have follow-up. I'm going to find out if you threw a party. And let's just say, you don't have to invite me. <laughs> you don't have to invite me to your party. Just have a party. No pressure to invite the pastor um, to your party. But have a party as the family of God. Enjoy being together and celebrating him because we want to be a people marked by joy. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are a God of joy. And Lord, so often we make life with you joyless. We make it about things that steal our joy. And Lord, we fix our eyes on things that are not true and good and beautiful and of you. And so Lord, I pray this morning that you would just do a heart work in us. Holy Spirit, that you would cultivate within us a desire for you, Lord, that leads us to see you 
in your word and see you in the world. And that that would bring forth joy in our lives. That your church in the world would be marked by a deep and abiding joy. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.